I got to be honest, I'm happy I'm not on that ship. All right. Or are we? You know, the international news is still dim as the Afghans and the Haitians are fighting for their lives while our country remains more fractured than ever. We are hoping to return to the good old days. Just not sure our culture and our world is on the path to better. That's one reason why we've been an axe to understand God's plan, to give us hope for the days to come. I want to welcome you. I am so glad you joined us. So glad for the opportunity that we have together to praise and honor God. We get to meet. We get to hear from His Word. We get to be reminded of our assignments and the opportunity each one of us have to make a difference right now. You see, God's solution has been and continues to be the gospel and the church. Do you understand that? His plan is the gospel for that to be preached wherever it can be preached. That Jesus died to renew a relationship with God. And that you can live abundantly now in spite of the storms and look forward to eternal life. That is unbelievable good news. And the church, what an odd plan. All the normal people all those who have been transformed by the gospel, all those that have good news, that have changed their lives. That is who God is depending on and planning on to make a difference right now. I'm wondering this week if you had any opportunities to be salt and light. We're nearing the end of our study in Acts, and each week we are encouraged to be able to proclaim good news. Maybe you've had some opportunities to extend grace. Maybe you've been able to share hope or even help jumpstart a neighbor. Isn't that funny? That, that over this last week, there were two incidents shared with me about folks helping people jumpstart batteries. I keep thinking, no, that's a winter thing, you know. But it happens. Real people recognizing a need and responding. In Acts, Paul was sent to proclaim the gospel and to plant churches in a godless, immoral, hedonistic culture. Look at that map. It's hard to see, I know. But there are so many squiggly lines and colors. That man was passionate. And he traveled mostly by walking and by ship over all these places, wanting people, Jews and Gentiles and Samaritans, all to be, well, 
understanding what the good news is all about. Well, if you think this was amazing, you are not going to believe today's story. In fact, I believe the first 26 chapters of Acts sets up chapter 27 and 28. If you remember, life got pretty complicated for Paul in his latter years. He's just recently caused a riot, imprisoned for two years, all while having talks with Governor Felix, Governor Festus, and even with King Agrippa. No verdict was given. So Paul now is being sent as a prisoner to Rome to stand before Caesar. Now in Acts 27 and 28, Paul teaches us how to enjoy a shipwreck. Let's pray. Father, we know that your word is powerful. We know that your grace is unbelievable. And we know that your love is impossible for us to understand. We come before you as your kids asking you to teach us, to empower us, and to strengthen us, helping us understand your mission and your plan. Oh, God, our lives get complicated. We're trying to juggle and figure out well, all the specifics. But you promised to walk with us. You've encouraged us. And you've given us a message that absolutely changes lives all over the world. Would you, Father, take your words today and transform us? Would you convict us? Would you inspire us? Would you, God, do something so very, very special that as we leave this place, we recognize that we are on mission. You've given us breath today, Father, and we thank you because that is, well, clear that you've got something for us to do. How wonderful, how beautiful to be able to partner with the Almighty God as he changes a world. Lord, if we're honest, we're overwhelmed. If we're honest, we're fearful. If we're honest, we worry. We don't understand all the situations and circumstances. But we want to trust you more and better. We pray for your church. We pray for this church. We pray for all the churches in this area. We ask you specifically that you would be with the church that gathers a connection and LifeSpring and Northbridge. We pray in particular for our conference, Converge, as it tries to plant new churches, encourage others, strengthening the church that you have given us. But in particular, Lord, as they deal with national tragedy and international confusion. Lord, right now we have churches in Haiti and they've been devastated. We have an opportunity to partner with them financially and, and maybe even physically later on, Lord, but 
we ask right now that you would encourage the church. We ask you that you would encourage the church in Afghanistan where they're hiding. We know, God, that you're in control. And we would ask today that your words would give us life. That, that we would be different people. We thank you for those even working downstairs with our children. We are grateful as we begin to look at how we're going to make an impact in this neighborhood, inside and outside our walls. God, give us your dreams. Give us your energy. Give us your perspective. For we believe we're here for such a time as this. We thank you. Now open our eyes, dear Father. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How to enjoy a shipwreck. Now, <laughs> that should have gotten your attention, you know, because those words really don't make any sense at all. Shipwrecks are lousy. I'm not sure any of you have been on a shipwreck, but, but you can picture it. Some people actually pay, well, to a great America to do crazy things. Uh, get your head kind of, you know, out of its socket. Going upside down, getting wet. And in some ways, it probably feels a little bit like a shipwreck, except you know in just a few seconds you're going to take that safety bar off and walk right out. So it's not even a big deal. But imagine, imagine the sea. And you've seen movies. You've maybe even felt a little bit of that in some of your travels. But all of a sudden, you have great respect for the sea. And although you have a massive boat or, or the opportunity for you to stay safe, you look around and things don't feel very safe. In fact, you don't even feel in control. We're going to be talking about that. 276 people, most of them seasoned crew members and soldiers who literally give up hope. We're going to die. <laughs> We're going to die. This is too big. It's too hard. The waves are huge. We have no hope. Well, we're going to cover Acts 27 verse 1 through chapter 28 verse 9. And again, we're not going to read through everything. Last week, I hope you actually went home and read those four chapters because it was an amazing story. And God uses his words to teach us. For you to get the whole story, I'm going to encourage you to do the same thing. That you go home sometime and read these verses over again. We are going to read some of them. But let me give you some of the highlights and share some truth that should encourage and convict you. We say this all the time here, but that's what God's Word does. When we open up God's Word, whenever that is, 
we should really just maybe ask those two questions. God, what are you encouraging me with? And what are you convicting me about? What is it that there's something wrong in my life? Where is there sin that I need to confess? You know, I talked with a younger man last week. He gave me a call and he said, can you tell me, I'm going to be meeting with a new youth pastor. What advice would you give this youth pastor? And right away, it just kind of flowed. I said, you know what? Make sure that this person teaches God's Word. Because this encourages and convicts. Remind them. Every time he opens it up personally, every time he teaches it, every time people are listening, this is what the Holy Spirit does. I met with another man on Thursday, and he was just excited. He wasn't involved in his church very much, but, but he's having opportunities to be able to influence his nieces and nephews. And, and he just said, hey, hey, Rick, what would you encourage me to do in my texts, in my conversations? And again, have him open up the Word. Talk again about how God's Word is encouraging them for the journey and convicting them. May they listen to God over and over and over again. It's transforming. It's critical. It's important. And if you can even do that in a group, how cool is that? So you open up the Word and you let it change your life. So far in Acts, Luke has depicted Paul as an apostle to the Gentiles, a church planner, a prisoner, and a defendant at times. Now when we hit chapter 27, everything changes. Dr. Luke portrays Paul in a completely different light. He is no longer an honored epistle, epistle, apostle, oh boy, but an ordinary man among men, a lonely Christian. Really, he's got two friends because Dr. Luke is with him, and there's another gentleman named Aristius, and he's with him. But he is now nearly among 300 non-Christians who were sailors, soldiers, prisoners, and merchants. Oh boy. What a crew. What a crew to put a missionary. Whoa, this is not an easy group. Yet Paul's God-given leadership gifts clearly emerge. One of my commentators said this, it is quite certain that Paul was the most experienced traveler on that ship. Yet it was more about the it was more than the experience at sea that made him an authority. It was that he was a steadfast Christian who had faith in character. So in the midst of all these people that we would call pagans. Folks without God. Folks that didn't care about God. Imagine the opportunity. Now, I'm not so sure we would see that if we were there, but Paul did. 
And he was pretty excited. And he knew this was God's plan. So before we jump into this, I just wanted to let you know that Paul then got on a boat and began to sail toward Rome. He was under the custody, the Bible tells us, of Julius. All right? Now, what I try to do is take the map and take all the other colorings away, but kind of focus on what Paul's trip was in chapter 27 and 28. And we're going to be talking about Fair Havens and Phoenix, which is a little bit larger of a picture. It's not far away. But this is Paul's journey. He's trying to get to Rome, okay? Normally, it would have taken five weeks to sail straight from Rome to Caesarea. But when this trip was over, it will have taken well over four months. <laughs> Paul had learned before that God was sovereign and that he didn't always understand his ways, and that his timing is absolutely perfect. So when Paul was delayed, he sought his opportunities. I'm letting you know that is one of the hardest things that we as believers have to recognize. We love planning. We love our own agenda. We love things moving ahead at our pace, right? We do. But over and over and over, all the way through the scriptures, the Bible says to wait on the Lord, his timing. Don't be anxious. Recognize I am in control. In fact, in Psalm 27, 14, David writes this, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yet, wait patiently. Wait for God's timing. No kidding. Yesterday morning, I'm at this spot. And I'm studying through this. And I'm trying to, you know, take down, you know, six or eight pages of notes down to uh, three or four or whatever. Otherwise, you'd be here a really long time. My wife comes walking in and says, Rick, can I read something to you? Now, I'm sure my eyes said, no. <laughs> Can't you see? I'm in the most important thing in the whole world. But God must have did something. I said, yeah, sit down, Sharon. So she sat down, no kidding, at this exact time, and read to me a devotional from Charles Spurgeon. In fact, I asked Sharon today to read that devotional. So would you listen to what God used yesterday, right at this time in my life? And I think he's going to use it in yours. Sharon. Waiting may seem easy, but it takes years to learn. Most of God's soldiers find it easier to march, even double time, than to stand still. There are times of confusion when the most zealous soul eagerly wanting to serve the Lord, just does not know what to do. What do you do in cases like that? Worry? Rush backward in cowardice? Or forward in presumption? No, just wait. Wait in prayer. 
Call on God and spread the case before him. Tell him your difficulty and remind him that he has promised to help. Wait with a simple heart. Be humble as a child. When we realize our own inability to choose wisely, we are more willing to be guided by God. Wait in faith. Express your unstaggering confidence in the Lord. To wait in a downing manner is an insult to him. Keep believing that he will answer you at the right time, whenever that may be. Wait in quiet patience. Don't complain about your situation, but thank God for it. Accept it as it is and put it all into God's hands as simply and wholeheartedly as you can. Say, not my will, but your will be done. I don't know what to do. I am at my wit's end, but I will wait for you to provide relief. I will wait for days and days if need be, because my heart is fixed on you alone. My spirit waits for you in the full conviction that you will come through, for you are my joy and salvation, my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. Psalm 61.3. Thank you, Pastor. All right. That was good. That was good. You know, the bottom line here is that Paul got on a ship and thought five weeks later he'd be in Rome. It did not happen that way. The scriptures tell us that they landed in a port called Fairhaven, and they needed to make a decision. It was getting really late in the season, and they probably shouldn't have traveled on the sea because the sea gets pretty wild. Paul warned the sailors about the future, but his advice was ignored. So they set out to sail for Phoenix. You know, most of us like Phoenix, but this is a different Phoenix, okay? 276 people boarded this grain ship at Fairhavens and set out for Phoenix. But the weather quickly changed, and the boat was blown out to sea. Phoenix had a safer harbor. It was only 40 miles down the coast. A half-day jaunt became two weeks at sea, forcing them to fight for survival through long series of life-threatening events. As their situation worsened, each leader aboard grew silent and faded from the narrative, leaving Paul as the standout leader. Finally, all hope was gone. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 27, and I'm going to start reading at verse 20. You can follow along on the screen if you'd like behind me, but Acts chapter 27, starting at verse 20. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars, until at last all hope was gone. No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss. 
But take courage. None of you will lose your lives, and even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me. And he said, Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage. Paul writes, or says, For I believe God. It will be just as he said. For we will be shipwrecked on an island. The men were left on this boat with no gear, no stars for navigation, and no future. Paul remained the only one on this ship calm because he had an absolute trust in God's promise. He had just heard it from an angel. Paul encourages the sailors and all the others on this ship with God's word. He said, keep up your courage. Essentially, take heart and be brave. There is bad news. We're going to lose the ship. But there's good news. You're going to be okay. Some think right here that Paul begins with an I told you so speech. But actually, I think in the context, he simply is encouraging the group to listen to him. He is an, a, a credible speaker. I've already warned you, you didn't listen. Would you listen to me here? God met with me. We're going to be okay. Wow, he tells them good news on this occasion, saying that no one will die as a result of their predicament, but the ship will be lost. He attempts to lift their spirits by using God's word. Now, the angel gave Paul two promises. Paul, you're going to stand before Caesar, and all those aboard the ship would be graciously delivered. It's because of these promises, it's because of God's word that there was no need to fear. Be courageous. It's going to get dicey. This is not going to end right now, but you are going to be okay. Now, storms come, but it doesn't mean God is not in control. The Lord keeps his promises. He will see to it that Paul gets to Rome. And God says everyone's going to be safe. It's going to happen. Now, in our storms, this is not always the promise. Yes, God will be with you. But there's still moms that die. There's still people who lose jobs. There's still houses that burn down and earthquakes in Taliban. Paul warns his audience that there remains more storm to endure, which includes a shipwreck before final deliverance. Paul expressed his belief in the Word of God and encouraged others to believe with him in God. Faith in God made Paul different and made him literally stand out. 
I guess one real short takeaway here is that fight fear by remembering God's faithful promises. It's so easy to be afraid, especially for the future. What is it that God has shared with you, talked to you, encouraged you with? And by the end of this message, I'm going to give you some very important, I would say, key promises that you can bank on. But for now, let's turn Acts chapter 27, starting at verse 30. Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officers and soldiers, you will die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just as the day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You've been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your heads will perish. Then he took some bread. He gave thanks before all of them and broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat, all 276 of us who were on board. After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. Oh, on the 14th day of the storm, that was two weeks, two weeks, some tried to abandon the ship. They try to take things into their own hands. But Paul, as we read, discerned their plan, reported it to Julius and the soldiers. And by now, Paul had such credibility that they cut technically the only way to escape this boat. They let the lifeboat go free. This action revealed how respected Paul had become, even though this particular course of action appeared reckless. Why would you do that? Why would you cut the lifeboats? Well, because God said, we're going to stick together, and you're going to be okay. Paul shares, Paul thanks God, and then 276 eat right before their ship is torn apart. As you read further, the scripture tells that morning that the bow ran aground and the powerful sea began to beat on the boat and tear it apart. The soldiers at this time wanted to kill the prisoners because Roman law was if a prisoner escaped, you would have to pay for it with your life. So they thought, let's kill them all to make sure they don't get out of here. But Julius wanted to save Paul. So he ordered everyone just to abandon ship. Don't kill, don't kill the prisoners. Look at verse 43 of chapter 27. Then he, Julius, ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make it for land. The others held on to planks or debris from the broken ship. So Everyone escaped safely to shore. Everyone arrives alive. Everyone survived. Once again, God's word proves true. We can trust him. 
We find out in chapter 28 that they land on this island called Malta. And that the Maltans, <laughs> sounds kind of cool, the Maltans, were very kind. They built this huge fire for them. The scriptures tell us that Paul gathers some wood for the fire. Look at chapter 23, verse 3. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on a fire, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand. You know, get this thing off here, you know. And said to each other, a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. Yeah. They all knew what that viper should have done. They all knew how quick that poison should have traveled. And Paul, normally, again, you get bit by a snake. I don't care what kind of snake it is, man. I mean, it's just not a great experience. But how cool is this? Right away, as a servant leader, as Paul is gathering sticks for the fire, he's bit by a viper. The apostle's calmness was, was absolutely conspicuous. Most people bitten by a poisonous snake panic. But Paul didn't. Maybe he didn't know it was a poisonous snake. Maybe he did. But somehow his faith, he's indestructible. He is literally indestructible. God had told him, you're going to Caesar. You are not going to die right here because you haven't seen Caesar. How cool, how wonderful is that? Now, not only were the people kind, not only were, well, the, the people reaching out to these shipwrecked folks, but the politicians were also kind. How unusual is that? Look at verse 7. Near the shore where we landed uh, was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in, prayed for him, and laying his hands on him, he healed him. And then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. Wow. Paul healed the official's dad. The news quickly spread, and the sick on the island lined up to be healed, and Paul healed them all through God's power. While Paul was certainly not a god, the god who rules heaven and earth and sea, and all that, was, all that is in it was with Paul. The islanders received a visible display of God's power through his servants, Interaction and actions. 
Paul took advantage of the ministry opportunity that the snake's bite afforded him. He was considered a celebrity at that moment. Well, since the shipwrecked group stayed on the island, the scriptures tell us, for another three months, all the way through the winter, this probably wasn't just a one-off thing. Paul had the opportunity, or plenty of time, to be able to make God's truth known to the people on Malta. Now, let me ask the question here. How do we enjoy a shipwreck? Maybe not physically, but this was a tough story. And let me just remind you, although we've talked about this in the book of Acts, that Paul really had a difficult life, especially in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul tells us of all the things that happened to him. He had been beaten numerous times. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked three times. He walked dangerous roads and were attacked by robbers and criminals. He oftentimes went without food and without sleep, the basics, and didn't have shelter. Oh, I admit that sometimes I would like to be a man like Paul. Then I think of some of his experiences, and I feel a little bit more content with mediocrity. But God has given all of us a mission. He has. And on this mission, there are going to be shipwrecks. There's going to be rough waters. There's going to be times when you or loved ones are going to be left without hope. So how do we enjoy shipwrecks? I've got four things that will help us on this journey. First thing is, listen to God. Paul listened to God. He understood his promises. And in this case, it was an angel. Say, well, Rick, you know what? No kidding, no problem. An angel meets with me. I'm all about it. Well, the truth is that God has given us his word. It is precious. It is inspired. It is God-breathed. And if we don't spend time in it, we don't spend time listening to God, we don't spend time having an opportunity to let God speak to us, we won't be encouraged, nor will we be convicted. In fact, that would be a, a great thing to just even ask yourself. The last time you had a Devo, the last time you opened up the Word, the last time you heard a message from God, was there encouragement for you and was there conviction? Sometimes we pick this book up and just, okay, <laughs> read my proverb for the day, boom, I'm good. I don't think any of us get points that way. Sometimes you read a verse. Sometimes you might read a chapter. Sometimes you might read more. But, but God, what is it that you want to tell me? What is it that I need to know? 
If you're going to make it through a shipwreck, you're going to need to listen to God. You're going to need to apply his word. And my guess is this, that God will probably set you up well before the shipwreck. But what was so unique in this one is that Paul was in the middle of the storm when the angel actually talked to him. So many of us in the middle of storms are fretting. So many of us are worrying. So many of us are blinded. So many of us have our earmuffs on. But a man or a woman who walks with God, no matter what the circumstances or situations are, they're in tune with God. God, what is it that you're teaching me? What is it that I need to hear? How is it, God, not only that I will survive, but that I might be able to encourage others on the journey with me? It's a way different thing than feeling sorry for yourself. Secondly, how do we enjoy shipwrecks? Be patient with delays. In fact, trust and thank your sovereign God. Because God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. God told Paul that he would reach Rome. And we're going to find out next week he does. God told Paul that none of the prisoners would be lost. And none of them were. God told Paul that the ship would be destroyed. And it was. God will accomplish his purposes. So we need to obey. We need to trust him. What are some promises that God, well, gives us today? And oh my word, there's so many in God's word. And as I sat there and just said, Lord, which ones do you want me to share today? There are so many. And this is what I think God gave me. First of all, I've just been reading out of Nehemiah. Isn't that something that, that God would give you something right out of the passage that you're reading? But what happens is that in Nehemiah, there's a great revival that happens. And there's some Levites who are really teachers of the word at this moment. And they are praying over the people of Israel. And one of the lines in Nehemiah 9, verse 8, the Levites say this in their prayer, you have done what you promised, God, for you are always true to your word. In Deuteronomy 31, verse 8, Moses is about to die. He's literally handing over the baton to Joshua, who will be the new leader. And he says to Joshua, don't be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. Neither will, he will neither fail you nor abandon you. This was maybe the scariest time in Joshua's whole life. I just want you to know, here it is. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. God's going to keep walking with you. He's going to guide. He's going to direct you. I don't care how many waves there are. And you can just read as you go through Joshua how many obstacles came up. And Joshua was able to trust God. What about Romans 8.28? God says that every situation and circumstance in a believer's life, he will use it to bring you 
to strengthen you and to bring glory to God. Psalm 23, 4, so many of us know Psalm 23, but hey, when you go through dark valleys, I will be with you, God says. Psalm 37, verse 5, commit all your ways to me. Trust in me, and I will help you. I will help you. God says that. Psalm 46, 1. God, you are a refuge in times of storm. Yes, I am always ready to help you. God says, do not fear. Proverbs 3, 6. Trust in the Lord and he will show you right paths. Matthew 6, 33. Seek first God's kingdom. Do what benefits the kingdom first. I'm going to take care of you. You don't have to worry. Do what I ask first. John three sixteen. 16. What an amazing verse. So many even know by heart. But hey, God loves you. And God says, I came to die in your place and my place. Put your faith in me and I will give you eternal life. You're going to be a son. You're going to enjoy eternity. Another Spurgeon quote, and it must be just Spurgeon Day today. It hit me when... Charles Spurgeon said this, do not honor your Lord by entertaining doubts or fears. Excuse me. Do not dishonor your Lord by entertaining doubts and fears. Ever think of it that way? That when we worry, we actually show great dishonor to God. So how do we enjoy shipwrecks? The fourth thing, point others to God. Point others. You have a hope in spite of the things you're going through. It was very encouraging yesterday. I was watching my grandson play football. And my daughter was sitting next to me. And and this is kind of the beginning of the season. So she was talking with another mom and found out that she was a first responder. And so Kara, my daughter, just said right away, hey, I just thank the Lord for you, a first responder, because without you, my husband would not be alive today. And so many of you know Scott's story of about two and a half years ago. And she looked at this lady and said, hey, I just want you to know God did a miracle. And Kara was able to share a little bit about a storm that she went through with a lady that was brand new sitting down on this bleacher. We get to point people to Jesus because of the storms that we've gone through. And lastly, how do we enjoy shipwrecks? We serve God. We serve God. Paul didn't feel sorry for himself. He didn't. He was serving God. He was preaching for one thing, but he was picking up sticks. And for two years, I'm pretty sure he was building a church on the island of Malta. We never heard about it, but 
excuse me, not two years, but three months. How cool is that, that Paul was able to do that? You see, God's mission is unfinished. That's the whole theme of this book. Jesus started it. And Jesus is giving us the opportunity to build his church and to encourage people. And this is a time of extreme storms everywhere. And we get to be able to proclaim good news and encourage others on their journey. Next week, if you're with us, we're going to finish up the book of Acts. What an amazing history. Teaches us about God's mission, God's heart, God's love. Oh, I hope you've been encouraged, inspired, and convicted. Let's pray. God, there's not one of us that likes shipwrecks. We don't. But somehow you allow them, and sometimes in your timing it happens, and we get to, I guess, bask in your presence in spite of our circumstances. Would we learn to enjoy shipwrecks? In Jesus' name.